do not worry. Do not worry. These were the words that stuck out to me as I read this passage of scripture this week. There are always things to worry about, and these days that's certainly true. And I found myself wondering as I studied this passage this week, is it helpful to tell people not to worry? Is it helpful? Could that advice cause someone to worry even more? I read last week that asking a person not to worry is a lot like asking them not to think about an elephant. You know, I could, you may not have uh, had an elephant cross your mind for months, but if I tell you not to think about one, you won't be able to get it out of your mind. Is it like that with worry? Even in regular times, instructing someone not to worry can make our worries right at the top of our mind. And so in times like these, I wonder if the instruction not to worry might sound insensitive or just plain out of touch. So why does Jesus say this? Why does Jesus say not to worry? What is he up to? Is he actually being helpful when Jesus tells his listeners, do not worry? Well, I'm a preacher, so you won't be surprised when I say that, yes, I think Jesus is giving helpful advice. But it's important to put that advice in context. Jesus is saying something much deeper here than don't worry, be happy. And you got to dig a little bit in order to find the treasure that is hidden in those words. So I'm going to start by talking about the biblical context in which Jesus makes this comment. And then I'm going to talk a little about what it, I think it has to do with us. Understanding this passage correctly begins by starting to read in the right place. This passage of scripture is often read beginning with verse 25. Therefore, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't that a strange place to begin? Can you imagine any other context in which you would read a story that begins with the word therefore and not ask yourself what was said first? But people read this passage all the time beginning at verse 25. The context is back in verse 24. That's where Jesus begins. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And then Jesus goes on to say, therefore, do not worry about your life. This passage isn't just about worry, it's about the problem of trying to serve two masters. And Jesus says that is impossible to do. Even given our objections to the slavery metaphor, there are many, many things that hold mastery or ultimate influence in our lives. Jesus is right that you cannot have a rich spiritual life if you are too swept up in the pursuit of material things. It is from this warning about serving two masters that Jesus then begins to talk about worry, and he unfolds this familiar poetic tapestry about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Look how happy they are, Jesus says, for they know that their creator loves them. 
They are not distracted by keeping up with the Joneses. They are not managing their anxiety with retail therapy. The birds of the air and the lilies of the field do not worry because they know where their loyalty lies. They know God has mastery over their lives. So, now we know what the message of the passage is supposed to be, but we still may be stuck on whether it is really helpful when Jesus instructs people not to worry. Not only is it important to start reading in the right place, but it is also important to consider the audience in this passage. Who's Jesus talking to? Which, uh, and th this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, so we have to think about the context and the audience for that uh, sermon in Jesus' ministry. An important clue about the audience for this sermon is found in this passage in verses 31 and 32, where Jesus says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. What does that tell us about the audience for this comment? The people who came to listen to this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches, they were humble people. They were living in tough times on the receiving end of oppression. The Roman Empire controlled their cities, and from the countryside, the Romans siphoned resources of food and water and money, and they took it for the benefit of the occupying armies. So when Jesus talks about what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear in the countryside of Galilee, he was speaking to an audience of people who may have been asking those very same questions on a daily basis. When Jesus suggests that they should not worry about these things, the people might have found him to be really insensitive or insulting except for the thing that he says next. He says, for it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Jesus does not say, yeah, I know you're hungry, but don't worry, be happy. Instead, Jesus says, God knows that you need these things to have food and water and clothing. And, he says, the people who are really spiritually lost are not you, but the Gentiles, the Roman occupiers. They have far more than their share already, but they still strive, worrying about getting more and more food and water and clothing than they already have, and in the process, they have left you without enough. Jesus is not blind to the suffering that is experienced by those who are seated before him. He names their suffering, and he tells them that God is on their side. And he says this with credibility, because Jesus was one who did not take more than he needed. So if you take the two ideas I've been talking about and, and think about them together, you see that to Jesus' immediate audience for the Sermon on the Mount, he is not preaching at them. He is comforting them. You can't serve two masters, Jesus says. You can't serve God and wealth, and I see 
quite clearly that you people are not serving wealth. And I want you to know that God has not forgotten about you. And then there's a second audience. The Gentiles, the Romans. They might not have been there at the moment. They might not have been the immediate audience for this sermon, but there's a sense that Jesus knows they're going to hear about it. These Romans, they are the dominant people in their culture. They are the people who have enough to eat and enough to drink and enough to wear, but they are always worried that they won't have enough or that they don't have as much as someone else they know, and so they want even more. These are the ones who serve wealth and not God. And they worry because they serve a master that never satisfies them. We've seen this character type all over the Bible in one story after another. This is the Pharaoh, who is the wealthiest man in Egypt, but he forces the Hebrews to make bricks without straw. Why? Because he is anxious about not having enough. This is the rich man in Jesus' parable who runs out of space in his barns because he has produced so much grain. But his solution to that problem is not to give away some of his grain. It's to build even bigger barns. Why? Because he's afraid that he won't have enough. These are the ones who serve wealth and not God. These are the ones who worry who are anxious in all of their life because they serve a master that never fills them up, that never satisfies. This life of the Gentile, the life of never having enough, it is a life of anxiety. It is a life of worry. And the hard edge of this passage of Scripture is that if you are not experiencing a genuine shortage of needs like food or water or clothing, if you don't, don't legitimately need those things you are most likely a Gentile as in terms of who Jesus is talking to. And that includes most of the people who are going to listen to this sermon and the one who is preaching it. So in his greatest sermon, Jesus talks about worry. He says, do not worry, and it turns out that that message is for at least two groups of people. Jesus is compassionate toward people who worry about not having enough of the things they really need. And Jesus challenges those of us who worry all the time because we never have enough of what we want. We are serving a master who offers no real security, no real peace from our worries. In normal days, I might preach this very same setup, and I might talk about stewardship. I might talk about being aware of people who are in genuine need, and I might talk about the blessing of being generous. I would talk about God's preference for the vulnerable and God's challenge to the powerful, and all of that would be true. But in these days, it seems like the thing that we need to talk about is worry and how worry works. For we have plenty to worry about these days. I know that in my own life, my worries have evolved during these times of COVID. Early on, I worried a lot about getting the virus. How severe would it be? 
Who would watch our kids if Anna and I became ill at the same time? Who might I infect without even knowing it? The stress of these questions was horrible because there are no concrete answers to these kinds of hypotheticals. And because there's some overlap between a respiratory virus and some of what I experienced with seasonal allergies, for a while, I was worried that I was getting COVID on a pretty regular basis. As the weeks stretched into months, and we now know that we're going to be living this way for a while, it occurred to me that those kinds of worries are not sustainable. Carrying those worries inside results in a stress, a stress that I pass on to my family and to my coworkers, and it keeps me from doing the work that I need to do out in our community as a pastor, work that gives my life meaning and purpose. And so in more recent days, I've been going through a transition in my thinking, in my worrying. It's not that I have no fear of getting the virus. I still don't want it. But I've resolved to myself that if I wear a mask in public and I keep my distance and I wash my hands, I'm doing probably 90% of what I can do to keep myself and other people safe. And within those parameters, I've got to do things that will sustain my mental and spiritual and physical health so that I can take care of the people in my life and so that I can worry productively about the welfare of other people whose situation is more precarious than my own. And in this way, my worries have evolved they were once about things I could never, was never going to control or satisfy. I'm a work in progress, but I'm trying to worry instead about things that I have the power to change. In talking to his two different audiences, Jesus, I think, is implying that there are times to worry and times not to. And that there are things worth worrying about and things that are not. It is understandable and even praiseworthy to worry about genuine needs and to try to do something about them. But it is foolish to worry about things that are beyond our control or to anxiously strive for a worry-free existence that can never be satisfied. Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar and a poetic author of many sermons and prayers. And here's what he writes in one prayer, a prayer that he calls Your New Word and Our Anxiety. The promises roll off your lips, O God, and into our ears. I will be with you. I will love you faithfully. I will be your God. My covenant is forever. We count on your words that flow from our ears to our hearts, and we are glad. And he continues, We keep inventing ourselves, and our underneath selves turn out to be less than adequate. We wish we were other than we are. We juggle your good purposes and our hidden yearnings and try to serve two masters. 
try to live two narratives. Try to live two dreams. And we are weary. Because we know our hearts of anxiety so well, we seem fated to disease. But because we know your heart of fidelity so well, we know you will defeat our demons and make us new. We know about your abiding fidelity in Jesus of Nazareth. Give us patience and steadfastness as we process the ragged edges of our lives. There are ragged edges in many of our lives these days. And there are people in our communities whose lives are not just ragged on the edges, but are worn to the bone. Let us remember in these days that God is compassionate and exists in solidarity with those whose lives are the most desperate, people who have real worry these days. And for those of us who may be less desperate, but who still get, up, get caught up in worrying about the wrong things, let us recommit ourselves to serving the Master who can give us some peace. And let us shift our worries to people and situations we have the power to change. Amen.